So two nights ago, we talked about God and how big and massive he is and what creation conveys about him is true, that God is truth. Now, when we think about Jesus, we don't think of him as a lesser God, as a mini-God, but as God Almighty, that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God. And so we started there, and then we looked at the scriptures last night, and I, I hope that for those that you love the Bible, that you just maybe got a little bit more, like something happened, you go, okay, it's really that reliable? Like it says that, it's, it's that trustworthy, that like God really made sure that it continued and was transcribed correctly, and because guys, without it, I'm not sure how it is we know anything about God. Remember, we live in this culture. It's like, however you feel for the day, that's you. Guys, I gotta be honest. I'm so thankful that's not true because my feelings are not in line with God so very often. And they're not, they're not in line with what I feel like is actually good and healthy life at times. Like I can feel bummed out for nothing and like, or I can be ticked off in the heartbeat. And I'm like, if that's just who I am, then you can't tell me to stop being that way because that's how I feel. And so we look at the scriptures, and this, but the scriptures all point to Jesus, right? And so tonight we look at the life and teaching of Jesus. I don't know if you noticed, but the key of everything we've been talking about is Jesus. It's supposed to be like that. I mean, the Holy Spirit's job, he just elevates Christ. He, envel- he elevates Jesus. And it's not like the Holy Spirit's sitting there going, how come they're always looking at Jesus? Like he's all insecure, it's not how it is. I mean, each member of the Trinity is trying to like, you should notice that member. This is like, this isn't, we're incredible. They're incredible. It's like, it's so weird to try to understand God. But when we look at Jesus in the pages of the scriptures, we know what God's like. That's why it's so important to know him through the pages of the Bible. And so as we jump in, can we pray? We're going to jump into John chapter, mostly in chapter five and chapter six. I'll kind of summarize some things before that, but. We're going to land there in five and six tonight. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we give you thanks for another evening to be together, to look into your word, to give you praise. Holy Spirit, we thank you that for those of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ, that you're in us. But even for those of haven't, I thank you that you're among us and that you are convicting of sin, that, Father, you are drawing people to Jesus. And we pray that you would continue to bring people to a place of salvation, of surrendering their lives to the Lordship of Jesus. Father, I pray that you take a feeble attempt on my part of trying to make much of Jesus and elevate him more than I ever could. That every single one of us in this room, whether student or volunteer or youth pastor or Hume staff, that we would be enamored again with Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I pray you'd anoint this time. Keep us teachable and humble. Keep my agenda and my opinion to myself. May it only be your truth that comes forth. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, Amen. Amen. In John chapter 2, verse 23, it says this, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Many believed in Jesus because he did miracles. 
And so when you start working through the miracles of Jesus, you get to John chapter two, and I kind of referenced it last night. When, remember when they ran out of wine? And so Mary comes, hey, they ran out of wine. He's like, what does this have to do with me? Remember, he calls, him, calls his mom woman, woman. What does this have to do with me? And she just says, what'd she say to the servants? Do you remember? Do whatever he says, right? And so then he looks at them and says, okay, you see those six jars? It's kind of like this ritual thing, this tradition that they had those set over there for. I want you to take those six jars and I want you to fill them all with water. And those jars collectively, they held about 180 gallons. And he said, I want you to fill them all to the brim. And the thing is, no one noticed the servants doing that. Everyone's just having a party. And I always go back to that passage to remind myself that God doesn't even ask me to do anything extraordinary. The servants took the jars outside, and it's not like they had a hose. They'd have to go find a well or wherever they find the water, but you take a smaller bucket and you just do this. And say the, say the bucket holds a gallon. That means 180 times you're doing this. Youth leaders and youth pastors, can I just remind you what God has called you to do? Just this. Just fill some jars. You don't have to do the miraculous. The miraculous is God's thing. Just be faithful to fill some jars. Students, just fill jars. Figuratively, just do the things that God has called you to do. He enables you to do what he wants, but then he takes care of the miraculous. And so they fill them, they bring it back, and... Jesus just dips this cup and says, take it to the master ceremonies. And it says that they went to the master ceremonies. I'm like, why'd they all go? Why not just one? Like how many people had to carry the cup? I'm, I'm not going by myself. I'm not gonna look stupid, come on. And so they all go together and the master ceremony takes the drink. He goes, okay, this is unheard of. Everyone serves the best wine first and then the kind of the junky wine later. But you say, you've saved the best wine for now. And the crazy part of that passage let me read it. I don't want to, I want to jack it up. Chapter 2. This is the end result of it. Verse 11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. You know why they believed in Jesus? Because Jesus did the miraculous. Absolutely. But you know, you know who else was connected to them believing in Jesus? Some servants that we don't know, know the name of who just simply filled some jars. Friends, be faithful and mundane, and God will give you the front row seat to the miraculous. I promise you that. You're faithful and mundane. No one notices anything that you're doing. You don't post about it. You don't post pictures. You don't go to TikTok, post a video. You just simply do what it is that God told you to do for his glory, for his purpose, and no one applauds you except the applause of heaven becomes deafening because you're willing to fill some jars to the glory of Jesus. I promise if you're faithful and mundane, he'll give you the front row seat to the miraculous. It's, in, it's also in John chapter 2 when Jesus shows up and cleanses out, the, or cleanses out the temple. I mean, he goes in the temple and he sees people taking advantage of people. So imagine you go and present. It's like, I got to present this sacrifice. And so you present it to the religious leaders, those who are in charge of the sacrifice, and they say, no, no, this one's not right. It's not clean enough. It's not pure enough. You need to buy ours, and then they jack up the price. And so they're taking advantage of God's people. And so God, or Jesus, God in Abad, shows up at the temple. He shows up and he looks around and goes, what is this? My house is, my house is supposed to be a house of what? Prayer. In one of the gospel accounts, it says that Jesus made a whip. That means he had some time. He's like looking around going, oh no, I see you. 
and he's making a whip. Yeah, I got your number. Yeah, I see what you And he just walks in, bam, starts turning over tails. Guys, that has got to be the most interesting church service ever. You imagine just sitting there, it's all quiet. Hey, this is, bam, people throwing tables like, what the heck? And it's Jesus. Guys, we have, picked, we have this idea that Jesus is like Mr. Rogers. He's just always just there. Hi. Uh. Guys, anyone that comes over and just starts turning tables over and letting the animals out and throwing a whip around, that's the guy I want to know. And so he cleanses, he cleanses the temple, and then all of a sudden the religious leaders start getting upset with him. And in chapter 3, which is where the, probably the most popular, most well-known verse is, John 3, right? So that's where it happens. And he's speaking to this religious leader who's intrigued by him, and yet he's kind of hesitant toward him, but goes to Jesus at night to ask him questions, deep theological, doctrinal questions, but wants to know who he is. And Jesus actually engages in this conversation, And I know that we know the verse, but do we really get the verse? For God, the one who measures the universe with the span of his hand, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who said, let there be light, and light exploded from his mouth, the one who created everything we see, don't see, everything we can understand, everything we will never understand, that God so loved the world that he gave Friends, if I claim to love someone and yet all I do is take, it is not love. God shows us what love is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have what? Eternal life. And here's what we think eternal life is. We always think eternal life but just means I'm going to live forever in heaven. Guys, we talked about this. You know the best part of heaven? You know what the best part of heaven is? Jesus. You're with God. It's Jesus. It's him. Like the rest of it's just icing on the cake. It's just Jesus. So eternal life is not length of time. It's quality of life. Because in John chapter 17, Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they might know God and that they might know his son. And so friends, when we say, well, I just want heaven. I just don't want God. Friends, it's amazing how many people just want the blessing of God. They just don't want to live the life where he's the Lord of their lives. Like, give me all your stuff. I just don't want you. And Jesus says, I want to give you eternal life. And the eternal life is to know God and to know his son. And so here's Jesus explaining these deep doctrinal things to this man in the middle of the night because he's too afraid to go during the day. And then in John chapter 4, Jesus is with his disciples. He's tired, which, guys, I'm going to be honest, I like the fact that Jesus gets tired because he relates with us. Guys, I don't know if your churches do this or your youth groups do this, and youth pastors, if you do this, are you out of your minds? Do you guys still do lock-ins and all-nighters at your church campus? Do you guys do those? Don't, don't, thank you. Don't, it's like for those that sit there and go, I love them. No, you don't. You just, you just want to be out. Like, I remember the last time, it was a long time ago, but I, I'm talking to student leaders, guys, what do you want to do? What would you do? To, like, what can we do to help you reach your friends? And they say, can we do an all-nighter? And I just was like, no. I hate those things. Is anybody like me, like, by the, when you start getting tired, does anybody else get grumpy? Yes. yes. And it's right. I'm just joking. I don't know if it's right. But it's like, okay, so I said, you know what? I'll do it. 
Why? Because I'm supposed to bear a cross. And they suck. Because I know what happens. You guys are just going to fall asleep anyways. But you make the promise. You're going to stay awake? Yeah, we're going to stay awake. I said, okay, we'll do it. So we just have a ton of kids show up. But they're all showing up with sleeping bags. And I looked, I, even with the student leaders, I'm like, what is that for? Well, it's when we get tired. I'm like, suck it up. Like, I didn't bring a sleep. I don't get to sleep. Like, I'm the constant barrier between what? The boys and the girls. Right? That's my job. Like, you don't get to come together and sneak around. And, no, you don't understand. We're in love. Pfft, whatever. <laughs> I'm telling you. It's like, no. Like, you, some of you guys have fallen in love at camp. It'll end when you leave. No, you don't know our love. It's pure. Oh, my God. It's not. It's not. So they show up, sleeping bags, pillows. And I look and said, no, 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 we're not going to sleep. We're not going to sleep. We're going to go all night. And so we're going at about 3.30 or 4. You can just see it on their faces. They're so angry. They're frustrated. And I don't know, there's like 100 of them. And I'm like, you know, I don't even like you guys right now. I'm serious. Like, you guys, you're no fun. I'm not at home. I could be at home asleep with my wife there. And you're, no, you're here and I'm here. Okay, so I said, ladies, you're, we had a house uh, that the church bought across the alley. Ladies, you're going to hang out in there. Gentlemen, you're going to stay upstairs. So I tried to keep them as far apart as I could. I'm in the middle. I'm, I'm the guardian. And so I'm just sitting there. And if you ever started to fall asleep while you're standing, it's horribly humbling. It's just like, Okay, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> so at seven, I'm like, I'm not going to clean this junk up by myself. So it's time to wake, it's, it's time to wake the, the kids up. So I walk over to the guys. I flip on the lights. They don't move. And so I had a guitar. <laughs> and I just started smashing. I'm not joking. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> All the youth leaders are like, Finally, okay, no. no, so I had a guitar. I don't think I played one chord. I'm like, kong, 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 kong. so then I took it off, and like, guys trying to get up, and they just kind of laid there. And back then, I was about 50 pounds heavier than I am now, like almost 300. And I laid down and I just rolled on them. <laughs> I laid down, I was like, and I get to the guy that's up to my hip, and as I roll over him, he's like, I said, gentlemen, time to get up. So they get up and they're like, what do we do? I said, clean up your junk. Like, I'm not your mom, go clean it up. So they start cleaning up. Then I go to where girls are. They're in the house and I'm much nicer. I didn't take my guitar. I didn't feel like they needed that. So I knock on the door. I, remember, I don't remember who it was. I just remember she showed up pretending like they had not been sleeping. You ever wonder why we do that? You ever get a phone call like super late at night? And all of a sudden, you're answering, <clears throat> hello. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'll be honest, if you call me at 3.30 in the morning, I'm like, what? <laughs> so, she, <laughs> so she shows up to the front door, and she almost says, like, hello. I'm like, you're such a liar. I said, it's time to get up. I said, is everybody up? She goes, no. Well, I didn't tell you that there was this young lady who came, first time ever. And when she showed up, I introduced myself. So glad you're here. She had a sleep bag. Whatever. I was already bitter. <laughs> and so all the girls start getting up. And it's great, except that one. And so I, I walk up to her. And I couldn't remember her name. So I'm like, hey, 
buckaroo. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't what's, what's your name? Youth leaders, you feel me? It's like, you, human. So I walked up and I tapped her on the shoulder. I said, hey, you, it's, uh, it's time to get up. And no joke, this is exactly what she sounded like. And she's like this tall. And she goes, no. <laughs> and, and I, like in my mind, in my mind, I remember thinking, oh, no, you didn't. You did not. So I said, ah, I know it's early. And I'm trying to be nice to her. I didn't, I didn't do anything that I did to the guys. I, I, I walk up to her. I, I tap her on the shoulder. And again, she goes, no. And then she goes further down. Like she takes her sleeping bag and goes. And so I start to feel it back. And I, I just tap her on the shoulder. I was like, no, no, I'm serious. You really need to get up. No. Again. And in my mind, I'm going, where do you think you're going to end up? Uh, unless, unless, this is, <laughs> unless this is the sleeping bag that leads to Narnia, you're going to hit a zipper. Like, this is where it's going to stop. And so I finally said, you know what, I'm done. Like, I was so nice. I'm telling you, if you don't get up, I'm going to pour water on your head. This is youth ministry a different day, friends. Had a lot more freedom back in the day. So I did. I went and I found the biggest jug I could find in the cabinet and I filled it up with water. And I thought, I honestly, I picked the biggest one because I thought if she heard the water, she'd go, okay, he meant it. So I come back and she's still there. And I'm telling you guys, if you make the threat, you got to follow through. <laughs> so, so I just peeled back and I just dumped it. And, and she stood up quick, she bam. And she looked me straight in the belly button, I remember. And all I said was, well, good morning. <laughs> I realized she's not one that you wanna wake up. Guys, when we get tired, I'm so thankful that we have a God who gets it. So Jesus is tired. He tells his disciples, go and get something to eat. He's sitting by this well. The Samaritan woman comes, and we looked at it this morning, in the heat of the day, which meant this. She was not accepted by the rest of her little society, her little culture, her little, her little area. She's an outcast. And then Jesus just looks at her and says, would you give me something to drink? And she's shocked. Why? Because he's a Jewish man and a rabbi speaking to a Samaritan woman. They hated each other. They're, at least they're supposed to. What I love about Jesus, something that I love about Jesus, is that Jesus is not afraid to cross the racial barrier or the gender barrier. He's not afraid like we are. Why? Because he deals with people. People. She says, why are you asking me for water? And he says, if you recognized who was asking you, you would ask me for water and I would give you what? I would give you living water. You would never have to come back here and get anything to drink. What he does is he piques her interest, and all she goes, give me that water. And he says, okay, but first, I need you to go, go get your husband. She's like, well, I don't have one. Oh, you're right. You've had five, and the man you're with now is not your husband. 
Friends, can you hold on for a second? Shh, shh, shh. Listen, 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 listen. Jesus knew everything about her and yet still approached her and still loved her. And for some of you, you hold on to what? You're holding on to this bitterness because somebody might have said one thing about you behind your back. And you honestly feel justified in the way that you shun or the bitterness that you hold on to. Jesus, in the midst of this woman's sin, approached her, spoke to her tenderly, inviting her into what? Relationship. And she goes, I can tell that you're a prophet. Now she was almost right. And it's weird, as you continue through the passage, it says that she actually went home and she told everyone. You know what she said? She didn't say, I found a guy who loves me. What, he, what she said is, I found this, this guy. He told me everything I've ever done. You need to come see him. Guys, that might be the weirdest invitation to come to Jesus ever. Think about it. You should come and he can tell you everything you've ever done. Saying, like, ah, I think I'll just wait. Guys, what she was blown away by is, yes, he knew everything about her, and yet he still, what, cared for her, loved her. Guys, there's something freeing in knowing that God knows every single thing that you've thought, everything you've felt, and everything you've done. He knows our sin, and yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, that's, that makes the gospel even more beautiful. So that happens in John chapter 4. Also in John chapter 4, an official comes to Jesus, like we saw it this morning, says, would you come heal my son? He's about to die, and Jesus doesn't go with him. Doesn't that seem heartless? Like he's healing all these other people, and then here comes this official, come heal my son. He's about ready to die, and Jesus goes, just go home. He's fine. In other words, he's healed. And when he gets back, they tell him he's fine. And he says, when did, it, when, when did he become better? And then he put it together right when Jesus said he's fine about that time is when his son got better. See, Jesus has this authority. Do you think that this man was changed forever? Absolutely he was. And get to John chapter five and it's in this passage that stood out to me the most because Jesus sees this guy on the Sabbath who they call, the Bible calls him an invalid, unable to walk. And he's been able, unable to walk for 38 years. And he's sitting around this pool with all these other people who have these, these infirmities and these problems because they had this belief that when the pool gets stirred up, whoever gets in first gets to be healed. And so when Jesus walks up and says, hey, do you want to get better? He says, well, I, I don't have anyone to put me in the pool when it's stirred. And what's Jesus say? He says, why don't you do me a favor? Just get up, pick up your mat and go. And the man picked, can you imagine for 38 years, you have not been able to move yourself. And one man comes up and says, just get up, pick up your mat and take off. And what did it feel like as he stood up and it worked? And as he picked up his mat and started to walk out in front of everyone. And we could sit there and go, well, Jesus doesn't do that anymore, does he? He absolutely does. He can do whatever he wants. So I prayed and it didn't happen like that. But also according to the scriptures, there were other people who asked and it didn't happen for them either. And yet maybe God is doing something greater than just making sure we're comfortable by the time we get to him. Maybe God's doing something greater through the pain than he could through the comfort. Like he's gotta take us through some tough things and then he shows himself faithful and he grows us. 
And then he comforts us. Maybe it's more than just making sure that we're comfortable, but more that we look like Jesus. But he did it on the Sabbath. And for the religious leaders, that was a no-no. You don't heal on the Sabbath. That is God's day. God said you're supposed to rest. Now, here's what blows my mind. They were so blinded by what it is that Jesus did because they were, cons- they were so consumed with their tradition. If a man who couldn't walk for 38 years all of a sudden stands and walks out and he's holding his mat and the first thing you can jump to is he shouldn't be carrying the mat. It's the Sabbath. If that's all that you can think, you are blinded to the things of God. They could not see God because they were blinded by their religion. They ask him, who, okay, who was it that did this? He's like, I don't know, because Jesus kind of snuck away. Then Jesus finds him again. Then the guy goes back and kind of snitches on him. Well, it's Jesus. And it says from that time on, they actually tried to, they tried to get rid of him. But you get to verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So when you're watching that whole thing in the morning and saying the pup and at the end, and actually in the end when, I don't, I don't, remember, I don't remember the guy's name who's Theo. being, Theo, but the, the guy, like your lead counselor, but Theo, when he goes, I'm not just the pup, I'm the master, I went, oh. I actually, I kind of exhaled loud. I was like, oh. And I was like, oh wait, that was a dog. Okay, wait, I know what I mean. But it got me, it's like, there's Jesus and he's master, sovereign commander of the universe. They were so irritated by that, they said, we gotta kill him, why? Because he healed a guy, miraculously healed a guy on the Sabbath, and he's claiming to be equal to God. When you go down to verse 39, now Jesus is confronting the religious leaders. Remember, Jesus isn't afraid or intimidated by those that we're afraid of. He's afraid of no one. And he says this. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Friends, we looked at the scriptures last night. I said, here's why the scriptures are so important. Friends, we gotta be people who are of the book. We gotta have our faces back in the book. But I don't want us to be people who are of the book so that we can, we can win heaven's version of Trivia Pursuit. It's not a game show who knows the most answers. And the scriptures do not replace any aspect of God. It is not Father, Son, Holy Scriptures. It is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the Bible points us to Jesus. Why do I want you to spend time reading the Bible? So that you'll love Jesus. That you would spend time with Jesus. That you would hear Jesus. You would spend time. The Holy Spirit would speak things into your life. Would instruct you, convict you, encourage you, help you. But it's not just to read it because that's what good little Christians do. Can I just encourage you for just a second? There's no such thing as good Christians and bad Christians. There's just Jesus. It's not good people and bad people. It's dead people and Jesus. So I don't, I'm not loved more by God how much I read the Bible. Like if I didn't read it yesterday, it's like God's like, well, I love you a little less. Step it up. And the weird thing is we can giggle. I used to believe that. And so my time in the word was a checkbox. I had to get it done so that God approved of me. All the while forgetting what Jesus did on the cross, finished it. 
That my spending time with God in the word is not me appeasing a holy God, it's me getting to spend time with God and him wanting to reveal more of who he is. So if I missed today, it's a, man, what did I miss out? What was God gonna show me today? If I didn't get alone with him, and don't check the boxes. We don't do that with any other, can you imagine if that's how I treated my wife? It's like, hey, we're gonna spend some time, Kelly, we got to do it every day. We got to talk about, we got to talk. That's what we're just, we're supposed to do it. So I'll go first. Give me 10 minutes. And I just start rambling for 10 minutes. Then I'm just like, done. Check. Okay, you go. And once 10 minutes are up, I go, done. See you tomorrow. Can you imagine if I, that's how I said, that's how our relationship is. I don't think you'd sit there and go, you're such a great husband. I think you'd sit there and go, wow, she's awesome, and you're a loser. <laughs> Isn't it weird that I would never treat my wife like that, so why do I think that God just appreciates when I check the box off? Guys, I spend time in his word. You spend time with in the morning. You're listening to testimonies. You're reading your word. You're going through chapel. You're worshiping Jesus, and you realize that your time with Jesus does not stop once you leave the room, once you shut the book. You go out and play rec. Enjoy worship. God created play. You worship him in it. We get to enjoy him all day in everything. Just this constant worship and adoration of our Father. So he says, you search the scriptures thinking that you're going to find life in them, but all the scriptures point to me. And then he says, yet you refuse, verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. That word life in the Greek means Life of the absolute fullness of life. Life real and genuine, not just existing, not just surviving, but life to the full. What life was supposed to be like. Jesus is like, you won't come to me and let me give you life. Verse 41, I, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. That's a straightforward response, don't you think? We don't struggle with that part about receiving glory from people, do we? We don't post so that people will double tap a picture and like it, right? We're not posting about our lives constantly so that we actually feel affirmed as a human because more and more people like us if we do. We don't struggle with that, do we? Guys, I used to be that pastor. I'd go to a camp and say there's like 30 kids, but I would take the picture from an angle that looked like it had 500 and I would post something like, humbled to be here, hashtag humbled. Why did I do it? So that the next day I can see how many people double tapped it and liked it so I felt better as a preacher. Guys, that's bondage. Guys, I felt God convict me so much. I used to have Instagram, I don't have it. I used to have Twitter, I never got it, so I don't have it. And I looked just like, oh. I don't have it either. I think it's stupid. So TikTok, I don't even, I've never even tried that. You imagine this as a video? What the heck is that? How bored are you? Guys, I used to have Facebook. Don't have it. I don't have anything. I'm like, it's like you're out of the loop. How do you exist? Here's how I exist without it. Oh. Amen. Oh. Amen. I love it. How are people going to hear about your life? Hello, let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you about my life. How are they going to hear about your ministry? I'm going to go tell them. 
I'm not just going to post about it. Guys, may we be people who strive for the applause of heaven more than anything, more than the likes of people. Jesus confronts them about all this. Let's keep going. Chapter 6, starting verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up in the mountain, went, I'm sorry, went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Guys, in the passage, we learn that there are 5,000 men. And Jesus is getting ready to do something for all of them, but it's not just men who showed up. So this is my conviction. I think that there's at least 15 to 20,000 people. And Jesus sees them all coming. He's like, Philip, come here. Look at that. It's like, oh my gosh, yeah. We got to feed them. Can you imagine Philip going, I'm sorry, what? We got we to get some bread and we got to feed 20,000 people. What are we going to do? Guys, what would you say? You can't sit there and go, I would just tell Jesus to pray and break the bread. You can't, because they, they don't know this is part of the deal. Jesus already knew what he's about to do. It says it in verse six, he, verse six, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Verse seven, Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not buy enough for each of them to even get a little bit. One of his disciples, here comes Andrew to save the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a boy here. <laughs> I love this. There's a little guy here. He's got five barley loaves and two fish. Nailed it. 20,000 people. And here comes Andrew going, I figured it out. Little boy, come here. See this guy? Five barley loaves. How big are those? Like the size of Twinkies. Because some people are like, how big are the loaves? It's 20,000 people. Unless this little guy's like Bubba. He's like, I love to eat. Man, it doesn't matter how many blows there are. So picture... Five Twinkies and two sardines. That's it. And here comes Andrew going, this little guy. (laughs) Five Twinkies, two sardines, 20,000. But what will that do for so many people? You ever wonder how it is that Andrew came up with that? Whose kid this was? It doesn't say. What if the little guy, it doesn't say in the passage, so don't say this is exactly what happened. But what if it really happened like this? What if the little guy hears Jesus talking to Philip and walks up to Andrew going, you can have my lunch. He's like, well, why would that kid do that? Because all kids think that God can do anything. Remember when you were little? You knew that Jesus loved you. This you know. Why? Because the Bible told you so. And then we get older and we have to say, God, prove it. When you're little, you ask God for anything. And you thank him for everything. I love hearing a four-year-old pray for dinner. Just be prepared. You're going to be there a long time. Chance, I want to thank you for this fork and my mom and her face. It's like they just pray about everything. And we sit there and go, I would never do that. And yet Jesus would say, I want you to have the faith of a child. I want you to pray like that. Where you're just so thankful about anything and you'll ask for everything because you think he can do it. So can you imagine this little guy going, here, you can have this. And maybe he walked up with Andrew and Andrew's like five loaves and two fish. He's looking at the kid and he goes, but what will that do with so many? What if the little kid goes, oh, I thought, I thought he could. From then, Jesus looks at him and says, Andrew, go sit down. 
give me the food. And what if he said, come here, little guy, watch this. He gives thanks and he breaks the bread. He sends the disciples out, has them all sit down. Guys, people ate until they were full off of five Twinkies and two sardines because a little boy was willing to give what he had. And people were blown away by that. And right after that, Jesus then sends his disciples on ahead. You get down to verse 16. Disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they'd rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. Another gospel account says they looked, he's like, it's a ghost. Guys, I would have too. In the middle of the night, you're looking going, what is that? And some dude's just strolling on the sea. You don't sit there going, that's just Jesus. He's just showing off. In fact, I think it's the book of Matthew. Matthew's the only one who records it. It's weird. The passage, or this, this account is also in the book of Mark. Most scholars think that Mark is written by Mark, listening to Peter preach. And isn't it weird that Peter doesn't bring it up, but Matthew does. He's like, oh, remember? Remember when Peter said, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you. As if a, as if a ghost couldn't lie, if there were ghosts. But if there was a ghost, like, that ghost would never lie. Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And then to have Jesus go, come on. You know why I like Peter? Because he just wanted to be where Jesus was and to do what Jesus did. I love that. And he got out of the boat. Imagine all the disciples going, oh, you're going to walk on. Get out of the boat, Peter. Jump on up there. Go, water walker. <laughs> and you imagine as all of a sudden as Peter put his foot over and goes, and it holds him up. All the talkers behind him are going, go on, what the? <laughs> Peter brings the other foot over. And I guarantee all of them shut up. And he started to walk on water until he, what, noticed the wind and the waves, and then he sank. And he cried out to Jesus, and Jesus let him die. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> that's why you have to have your Bibles. <laughs> it says immediately Jesus ran up and saved him. He's like, why did you doubt? Like, you were doing it. It says that he raised him up, and they both walked back to the boat. Guys, when you read Matthew's account at the end of that, listen to the, listen to the response. So, we're, so far we've seen God, we've seen Jesus, God, teach things, do things, and there's a response, right? He's teaching things, he's doing things, there's a response. Here he sends them onto a, he, he sends them onto a boat to go across the sea and a storm hits. Do you ever feel like you've done exactly what God has called you to do and then you find yourself in the middle of a storm and you wonder, what happened, God? Why did it get so hard? I'm doing what you want. Then you feel alone. It's like, where'd you go? You ever wonder if maybe God has a greater purpose in mind that comes only through the storm? Because when you get to Matthew, it ends this way. And those in the boat, watch, worshipped him. Jesus didn't need them to see him do tricks. He wanted to bring them to a place where they would worship him. And the storm was part of the process. 
Friends, it comes to the life and teaching of Jesus. What are you going to do with him? What do you do with Jesus? You can either stand against him. You can either run from him. We can fall down to worship him. But I promise you this. Every knee will bow. At some point, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is master to the glory of the Father. Friends, why would Jesus come and do all of this? Why do the miracles so that people would come to believe in him? I mean, guys, that's how, the end of, that's how John ends. I think Monica, Monica uh, shared that this morning. If you look at John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, le- by believing you may have life in his name. Why did Jesus do the miraculous? So that we would come to believe in who he is. That we would come to believe that Jesus is God. That what Jesus claimed about himself and the necessity for us to surrender our lives to the lordship of Jesus is a necessity for us to be made right with God. Do we take him at his word? And that for those of us who are followers of Jesus, when we hit the storms, because it's going to happen, We don't sit and question, God, do you actually truly love me? But we actually believe, God, you sent me ahead. You moved me ahead. And therefore, I can trust in you. And at your perfect time, I pray that you'd walk all over this storm. But until that moment, help me row. And when you walk on the storm, lead me to worship. Worship. Because Jesus is worthy, and Jesus is worth it. Can I pray for you? Let me pray. Let me pray. Let me pray. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came. We thank you that you fulfilled your word. We thank you that you did these incredible things and you said these incredible things. You encouraged and you confronted, you convicted. And Jesus, I thank you that you still do the same things today. Jesus, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, Like I prayed in the beginning, I continue to pray now, you would convict us, not just those people, us. Show us, God, what's lacking. Convict us of our sin, but for those who don't know Jesus, Holy Spirit, convict them to a place where they understand their need for Jesus in order to be reconciled to God. God, thank you for your goodness and your greatness. Thank you that when you showed up on the scene, you didn't come with pomp and circumstance. You didn't come with flair. In fact, really, nobody even knew you showed up. And thank you that you lived a life of poverty. Thank you that you suffered, that you might learn obedience through suffering, but that you might relate with us in our our times of need. 
God, thank you that you are the true bread of life, that that whole feeding of the 20,000 was to point people to yourself. God, may we, all of us, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, truly be followers of Jesus because you're worth it. And for those that aren't, draw them. Father, draw them to your son. God, we thank you for your greatness and your goodness. To you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. For you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. amen. Love you more than you know.